This is the Soulfully Casual Podcast hosted by Matty Ice. And now, your host, Matty Ice. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Soulfully Casual Podcast hosted by Matty Ice, and as always, brought to you by Matty Ice Media. I've been very open about my life on this podcast. One of the reasons that I started it in the first place is because I feel that it's important and a cathartic measure for me in my life. I love the spoken word. I love creating content. I think that's no secret. But sometimes this podcast, specifically Soulfully Casual, allows me the freedom to be able to exercise some demons, if you will, I guess in a more public space, right? Because I'm telling it all to you, the listener who may or may not know me or know my life situation. But I think it's important to be transparent. I think it's important to be authentic. One of the best pieces of feedback that I've ever received is how authentic I sound in all of my delivery, all of my episodes. When I talk about uh, issues that matter to me or situations in the world that matter to me, I'm not doing it merely to placate to a specific group or to a specific person. I'm doing it for my own benefit and because I truly believe in what I'm saying. To me, it's really the only way to be in life. And one of the issues that I've been very transparent about since the start of the show is the relationship that I have with my mother. A few episodes ago, I talked about the differing treatment that she's going to be receiving, or I should say the lack of treatment she's going to to be receiving, the lack of medical intervention as it relates to her brain cancer. And I was really struggling with it at the time. I was really struggling with what it meant, what it meant for her life, what it meant for our relationship. And I really started to think about in totality what our relationship was. I recently received some more details as to the changes that were made to her treatment, the way that they were going to be combating this disease going forward. And when they talked about hospice care, one of the things that they did not mention was that they were going to basically take away any preventative medicine or any type of medical intervention as it related to this tumor. My mom had sort of believed that treatment would be back in play at some point if she were to get better, if her physical condition were to get better. The reason that they took her off the treatment was because they felt that her body had received enough punishment over the time that she had had so much chemo and all the other treatments, two surgeries. And honestly, you know, I wanted to have that hope too. I really felt that hope for her. She said to me a few weeks ago, I really still feel that there is hope left. Well, in that time period, much has changed. Um, She went through a period what seemed like she was in a coma to where she was almost completely non-responsive. We would call, she wouldn't pick up. And even when we did talk to her, she just didn't seem like she was there. I was getting intel from inside. My aunt was giving me the scoop, if you will, as to her condition and how she was every day. It was really sad because one of the things she enjoyed most in this last year, even in the face of geoblastoma, was getting to know her grandson, knowing that she had a grandson and getting to talk to him and not being able to have that connection with her, even if it was something that I personally wasn't investing in the way that I you know, maybe should have, it was something that she got out of it. She at least got to see his face, hear his voice, and I know how much joy that brought her. So to know that that connection had been ended, or that connection has been sort of uh, severed in a way, it was a little disappointing because I know that it was a source of joy that she was not getting. I recently received a phone call from her a few days ago. It was my aunt who was with her, helping her make the phone call. Now she was asking for me. And we talked. It was not much of a conversation, I'll be honest with you. She really wasn't talkative, if that makes sense. She seems very tired. And all she kept saying was that she wanted to see me. Well, I was a little concerned about this. It seemed like she had been in a deep depression. And I was kind of concerned that maybe this was some an angle, if you will, that hadn't been looked at. Well, it turns out that it was an angle that had been looked at. Uh, they had 
tweaked her meds as it related to, um, you know, her, her mental state, if you will, her antidepressants. But one of the things that I didn't know that I think my aunt and I had missed in the entire puzzle was the fact that they took away many of the drugs that were help keeping her brain swelling down. And that it seems like the changes that we were seeing in personality or in energy level were going to be permanent. And upon finding that out, and also the heartbreaking reality that she had been asking for me on a daily basis for the last two weeks, that was a detail that I didn't know. It was a detail that, having heard it finally, uh, added a little bit of depth to the situation that I don't think I had given in the moment. Um, I said last week that my family and I were going on vacation, and I said that I was going to take that time to rest and relax and take a step away from the show for a week. You know, in the grand scheme of our lives, a week really isn't a whole lot, if you think about it. A week is something that, you know, we go through day, week in, week out, churn and burn all the time. It's how the years go by so fast, right? We always say the days feel long, but the years are short, and it's so true. Somehow it's almost September of 2021, and I remember clamoring, begging for the end of 2020. Well, you know, a week, it's really such a short amount of time. But to find out that my mom had been calling for me, asking everybody who came to her or everybody she talked to where I was for the last week, it was heartbreaking. And it dawned on me that perhaps what she was waiting for was me. And when I say what she was waiting for, what she was waiting to finally feel comfortable passing on. It's not a reality that I had really considered this quickly. You know, when I did that episode about mortality, that was really at the end of July. And it was only a month ago, maybe even less than a month ago. And it seemed like it was something that was coming, but something that was still a little bit further in the distance. And perhaps that's naivete on my part, if you will, of being naive to the fact that it could happen this quickly. Having brain cancer is a serious condition. It's not something to be taken lightly. And I would imagine that things could turn for the worst. So I was faced with a, with a decision. Uh, and I decided that I really could not keep her waiting any longer. It was not fair if that was something that she was looking for a gift that she needed from me, I needed to give that to her. And while our vacation could wait, I wanted to make sure that I went and did that for my mom. You know, we've had a complicated history in the last six years. As adults, our relationship has been at worst, very, very toxic. At best though, we had some good times. And those things unfortunately were overshadowed by much of the extracurricular activities that took place while we were adults. But even still, when she's come to the end of her life, as she's nearing the end of her life, I realize she is the only mother that I have, and I will never have another one. Even if others can do the same job, can replace that person emotionally, physically and spiritually, you only have one mother. Some mothers choose to be absent for the entirety of your life. Some mothers choose to be in your life for it, and then some mothers are sort of in and out, right? There's different levels of mothering, but what is true is that you only have one. So I sent my wife and child to the beach for the week. And I said, I'm going to go do this. I need to go do this. There was a little bit of a uh, emotional struggle about whether she and my son should come with me. And while I would love to have them and the support, this was something that I felt I needed to do. And what I really needed was their support after, in the aftermath of all this. Not knowing if my mom was going to die, not knowing if this was the last time that I was going to see her. So I took the trip up to Connecticut, and that's where she is. She is currently in a rehab facility, a nursing home, if you will, and she will remain there most likely for the entirety of her life until the very, very, very last days, maybe even never moving from there. And on the drive up, I thought about a lot of things. I really considered that this might be the end, and I 
started to think about what it meant to take the high road in life. And why do I bring that up? Throughout the entirety of our estrangement, one of the things I always strive for was to always take the high road, to always know that what I was doing was good enough for me and that I could look myself in the mirror or the w reflection in the window and know that the decisions that I had made were the right ones in the time. We can't always be perfect. We can't always make the best decisions all the time, but the best that we can do is the best that we can do. And we should always strive for that. And I always strive to take the high road. I never badmouthed her outside of our relationship. And even during that time period, I never badmouthed her. I never said a negative word about her because this, this was a two-way street. It wasn't something that could be mended by just one person. It was going to take both of us coming together to sort of fix this. And while we did reconnect over a year ago, I think I realized listening back to my words in episode 87 that I don't think I ever really forgave. I couldn't forget, but about forgiving. How do you do that? How do you move on from somebody who has done so many things to you that you feel were hurtful, that you're still angry about? And I think that's what makes life so difficult sometimes, is the people that we're the closest to, the people that we love the most, generally are the ones that hurt us the most because we have more to lose when it comes to those relationships. And I thought about a lot in that seven hours trip to go up there. What was I going to say? How was I going to say it? And what was appropriate to say? But one thing I realized is that I think what she was looking for was to know that we were okay, that I was okay. And I struggled with how was I going to present that? Were we okay? Had I actually gotten past any of the fighting that we had done, any of the words. And I realized I'd saved all the emails of all the nasty things that she said. And I thought about all that too. How much has that really benefited my life over the past six years? To have those words, to go back and read them and get angry all over again. Did it further distance me from her? Did I, did I prevent us from coming together even sooner? Because I was unwilling and unrelenting in my anger and frustration. Really though, I was hurt. That's really the word that comes to mind every time I think about the situation is I was hurt. And sometimes even within anger and frustration, ultimately our hurt, where we hurt and how we hurt is what defines a situation. Not everybody takes the same situation the same way. And one of the things we always try and do when we're having a disagreement with somebody or we're trying to articulate our feelings is to say how it made us feel. Because your feelings are indisputable. Nobody can tell you that your feelings are wrong. And while my mom felt right in her feelings and I felt right in mine, perhaps there was a middle ground. Miss Joyce on episode 50 told me, there's always three versions. There's yours, there's mine, and then there's the truth. And in this particular case, I think there was that. Well, I decided that I was going to get everything off my chest and not yell at her, not berate her, but just talk with her. I didn't know what kind of state she would be in. And I decided that it was important that I let her know that this is what happened between us. And this is how I feel about it. And that I'm sad. So I went there and I walked in the room. Now I should tell you, uh, there was a positive COVID test with one of the staff members, a vaccinated staff member, I believe. And so there was a lot of precautions being taken. And my mom, because she is a hospice patient or is in hospice care, I was able to have visitors where a lot of the other patients are not able to. Now, thankfully, her room is right off the entrance, but I was triple masked. I had a face shield on and a gown. It was a really, really weird experience 
for the type of emotional uh, situation that I was walking into, so to speak. And I saw her. I saw her laying there. And I realized that she is a shell of a person that she once was, the person that I knew. I've seen her since we got back together, and she was still, even so, not the same person that I knew. You could tell that she was declining, that she was not the same person, that vigor that she had. So one thing about my mom that I always admire, I always respected, is that even though she went about a lot of things the wrong way, she always lived life with a sense of vigor. She always had wanderlust. She had a sense of adventure. And she was not usually afraid of getting into some trouble or doing something new. And I always admired that because it's something that I don't necessarily have in life. I don't necessarily have the ability to just jump in feet first. And sometimes there are aspects to that way of life that I admire and I wish that I had. And I knew that that wasn't her when we saw her in September. But seeing her this way, seeing her in a bed, a hospital bed, laying down, unable to get up because her entire left side is inoperable, right? The stroke that she had has left her unable to use her left side. It's completely gone. Seeing her there, ungroomed, right, in a gown, not even dressed because she can't get dressed, unable to go to the bathroom by herself, almost unable to feed herself. She has her right arm and she uses it for things, but seeing her that way, it made me course correct a little bit. It made me realize that what I needed to do was different than what I set out to do, and that she needed peace, that she was dying. This is the end for her, or close to the end for her, and that it was my job as taking the higher road to make sure that she knew that she could be at peace and that she could be on her own terms and that she and I were okay. And so I got there and I was with my aunt and, you know, it was good. Uh, she was happy to see me or as happy as she could be. She was basically moving in slow motion. It was like she was wanting to do so much more, but basically her body just not would not let her. That fact about life is very, very uncomfortable and it's very sad. And thinking about the fact that one day your body will let you down. Obviously, there are many ways in which we can pass on from this world. Some are sudden, but a lot of people go through this, that's, that subtle decline in which you want more, your brain wants more, and your body just tells you, I don't have it. It's a sad reality. It's also a sad reality that so many people die of cancer, that we can't seem to find any semblance of a treatment for cancer. We can get a vaccine out the door for COVID-19, but we can't get a cure for cancer, something that obviously is much more complicated and is a lot harder to treat based off the fact that it's our own cells attacking us. But, you know, hundreds of thousands die every year of cancer, millions possibly. And it's just sad because this disease, which we can't even seem to get a hold of, has gotten her not once, but twice. And for the last year, I was really hard on her because I thought she was just being lazy when she was at her apartment and she didn't want to get up because she was tired. And in that moment, I'm sitting there watching her and realizing she probably was tired. Wouldn't you be? Like, wouldn't you be having to fight this all the time? October of 2019, she was diagnosed with this brain cancer. She was told that she has six months. Well, it's been about 18 months, almost two years, actually. She defied the odds, no matter how long she has left or not. She defied the odds. They told her six months, and she said, screw you, I'm going to live as long as I want. And she did. She's still alive. 
but I sat next to her and I held her hand and I realized that she was still my mom and that it was my job in that moment to do the right thing to tell her what she needed to hear. And so I asked for a few minutes alone with her and she was, her eyes were closed, thought she was asleep. So I started talking, started talking about how, and this is going to be graphic, so to speak, but I was sorry that things got so fucked up between the two of us. That as adults, we seem to not be able to harness our frustration with each other and harness our you know, mother-son dynamic that we had, which was strong at, at one point, and we lost time. I apologize for my part in that. I think for much of the last six years, I assumed that perhaps I wasn't the problem or that something I was something I did wasn't part of the problem. But I know now that it was, that these relationships are two-way streets, that I had something to do with it. And I realized in that moment that it was my turn to apologize. It was my turn to admit to my wrongs, to admit to the part that I played in the time that we lost. And I told her that, you know, the things that she did, the things that she said, they hurt me. I was frustrated, I was angry, and I was hurt. But now looking at it, I'm sad that we lost so much time. I said it's time that we can't get back. And she looked at me and she said, but we did get something back. And it hit me, it had hurt. But we did. We reconnected. She got to be a grandma, that's what she always wanted. And, you know, there are little things to take from this, some silver linings. But as I was talking with her, I thought she was asleep. And I said, I love you. Uh, James will be okay. I will be okay. You know, we'll all be okay. You don't have to wait because you're wondering if we are okay. But I love you, Mom. And I always will. And we're okay. You don't have to worry about whether... We never mended fences. It's not about that anymore. You can pass on whenever you'd like. You can go whenever you'd like. It's all on your terms, on your schedule. And I let her know that if she was strong enough, that we would come back and she could see her grandson. I thought she was asleep. And she woke up. She opened her eyes. She reached over and touched my face. And she said, I'm sorry. Thank you for this. That's the first time she's ever said I'm sorry to me in my entire life and meant it. And she's at the end. And it hit me that for the first time in a long time, I loved her. I loved her like my mother. It's been a long time since I have felt that. And it's coming at the end. It's coming when we're on borrowed time. We can't get that back. But you know, I did the right thing. I did the right thing. One day, I will look back on this and know that I gave her that gift. That I gave her that peace. It's what we all want when we die, isn't it? That peace and dignity. To know that the people that we love are going to be okay. 
And I gave that to her. And it was the right thing to do. It was the right thing to do. So, I don't know when her time will be up. Nobody can predict that. We can't predict that for ourselves. But what I do know is that when she does pass, she will leave behind something that was worth leaving behind. I wish that for myself. I wish that for all of you. And now I can be at peace knowing that she's going to have that too. Thank you for listening. I'll talk to you next week. Be safe. Hug the people that you love. We don't get much time with them. We need to cherish that time. Take care.